My name is Jeff Lerner, and I interview elite performers from a wide range of disciplines, entrepreneurs, athletes, celebrities, scientists, artists, and more. This is Unlock Your Potential. Welcome to another episode of Unlock Your Potential. This is Jeff Lerner, your host. Always so excited to be back with you, having yet another amazing conversation with another amazing human being. Today, we are joined by Andrew Daniel. He is an award-winning author, a spiritual teacher, and the director and founder of Cinesomatics and the Center for Cinesomatic Development, which I have learned enough about to know that I can't wait to learn a whole lot more about it because it's super cool. Um, they use video feedback and movement to assess and resolve stuck somatic, psychological, and emotional patterns. They do this work all over the world. Obviously, it's done by video. It can be done virtually too. He's written a book. Uh, he's written multiple books. His latest book, Awaken to Your True Self, won the 2022 Gold Nautilus Book Award. And he's basically a stud and we're glad he's here. <laughs> I'm going to skip the rest of the bio because I really want to talk to him. Andrew, welcome to the show. Jeff, thank you for having me. It's an honor. Yeah. So glad you're here, man. Um, and, uh, you know, I love it. I've, I've been, I feel like I'm, I'm sort of finding a theme here you know, there's a few sort of meta themes that are woven through this podcast across episodes. And and one of them really is, although I've never heard the term cinesomatics, um, what, what draws me into that, and this has been a, something that's come up on other episodes too, is like the way that video can actually create a window into the self. Usually we think of video giving us a window into others, but it can also be such a useful tool uh, to look within ourselves and and see ourselves in some ways for the very first time. So, and I have a, a whole bunch of work I do with that at Entra that I can't wait to compare notes on. But uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you, if you would, let's start with like let's start at the beginning. I mean, who are you? How'd you get here? How'd you develop this work? And and what's all the the relevant backstory so we can get into the deep end here? Yeah, I'll I'll make it short because it's all it's a whole life, but. <laughs> Essentially, the, the the gist of it is how any of this led to my current life. When I was young, I dealt with a lot of bullying and teasing. Um, mm. When I was uh, a toddler, I had warts on my hands. And that set into motion an, an entire, oh gosh, two decades of victim mentality. Right, mm. because it wasn't just bumps on my fingers. When I started school, people teased me for it. They made fun of me for it, and in fact, so much that they would tell their parents, "Oh, yeah, there's this kid. He has these bumps on his hands." They're like, "Oh, don't touch him. You're, you're going to get warts." Right? It's mm -hmm. contagious. It wasn't, um, but it kind of set into motion this sort of fear, and I didn't know it at the time, but I, I at some level use that to be a victim. I mm. said, poor me, why me? What is wrong with me? I just want to love people. I'm just this little ball of love and light and these people don't want me. Um, top that with uh, a, a father when I was an infant uh, hit me and my mom had custody and there was courts and uh, attempted kidnapping and mafia and they were 17, 18 years old. Um, that there was a lot of drama in, in the beginning of my life around that. I'm very blessed that my, my mother and my stepfather, uh, did love me tremendously and, and got us out of that situation. But 
at home, there was a lot of fighting. They were very young. Money was a big issue. Um, a, a lot of yelling around money stuff. And at school, the, the bullying and the teasing continued. Um, and that led me to, in my teenage years, you know, being very angsty, um, very angsty. My uh, stepdad was essentially my, my dad. Uh, we butted heads a lot because he was just very like, do what I say because I said so. And I'm like, why? <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> and so there, there was a certain n- not, not against authority, but not a full trust in it. It didn't quite make sense. It just felt a little bit more tyrannical. Then at school, right, I was very intelligent. I had a very high IQ. That didn't help with fitting in. Um, you know, raising my hand to answer the questions and people rolling their eyes, being exasperated because I knew the answer. And so there's just a lot of this stuff. All you could kind of start piecing together the psychology and the emotional state I was in. So I was pretty depressed. Um, and I was essentially at the place where I started fantasizing about suicide and revenge, you know, going in and to the schools and, you know, seeking my revenge in certain ways. Um, very, very dark stuff. Um, crying myself to sleep. We call it FOMO now, fear of missing out. But, you know, 20 years ago, being a kid and everyone else is having fun and invited the parties except you. Using all of this stuff to suffer. I didn't realize it at the time. I do now. But at the time, I was just using all of these things to suffer. And this led me to a turning point. This led me to a choice point. Either I end it, you know, find a way out of life, or I do whatever it takes to figure this out. How to have friends, not sit alone at lunch where people just throw food at me and laugh at me and trip me. To have girls like me, right, as a teenager, right? I, I loved girls. I had my first crush when I was six years old. I screwed all of those up, being needy, desperate, clingy, afraid, terrified, socially awkward, anxious, all this stuff. How do I figure that out? You know, how do I live a life where I, I love myself, where I'm happy, where I don't look in the mirror and say, you're a piece of shit, you're a loser that nobody wants. And so it was that choice that I had to make. Either I end this or I do whatever it takes to figure this out. And uh, I am here now, so it is clear that choice that I made. I, I chose to do whatever it took to figure this out. And so that got me onto the internet, literally typing in. I remember sitting at my computer, CRT monitor, the, the first few years of Google, how to be cool, <laughs> how to make friends, how to get girls to like you. And of course, the stuff that came up was, was terrible, um, but... I did find a few things that showed me that I could make a, a new choice and change something about myself that gave me hope, right? I, I grew my hair out and girls looked at me a little differently when I grew my hair out rather than cutting it short and spiking it up. <laughs> and that as superficial as these things were, what they did was give me real hope. Wait a minute. I just don't have to deal with what life gives me. I feel sorry for myself. There's something I can do about it. I didn't know to the extent of what I could do about it then, but at least it was enough to say, all right, something can be done. Something can mm-hmm. change. And so that set me on the journey of the next, oh, geez, 
16 years of personal development, transformation, uh, healing, spirituality, um, and even uh, it even coincided with my entrepreneurship journey. I started a software company at 18 um, because at 14, I started learning web design and graphics and building computers. I liked video games, all that nerdy stuff that I was made fun of right. for then. How, then how I, old, can I ask how old you are? I'm 36. Okay. So that would have been 22 years ago, you started getting into that stuff. And yes. then 18 years ago, you started a software company. That helps me uh, contextualize this. When you were getting into the online dating stuff, did you ever come across a program called Double Your Dating by David oh, D'Angelo? David D'Angelo, yeah. yeah. Okay. Whose yeah. real name is Evan Pagan. Evan Pagan, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, you, yeah. 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 I'm, 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 I would say I'm- programs, yeah. Okay. I would say I'm, I'm not like tight with Evan, but I mean, I'm acquainted with him and, and I we move in some, have moved in similar circles in the past. And I always find that hilarious that he got his start with a dating course. So. Yeah. It, it, was, it was actually the first thing I found. Is that the thing that told you to grow your hair out? No, no, that, that was a friend. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> but that was the but that was the thing that said you could actually show up differently. You didn't just have to be this pushover to get girls to like you. Um, yeah. So I I actually credit that part because his his stuff was some. He's grown a lot since then. I've taken yeah. some of his entrepreneurship stuff, which is fantastic. Um, but it was enough to do something. And, um, I actually was, oh, this is, this is really embarrassing, but I'm going to, I'm going to say it. Oh yeah. I'm, I'll, I'll match you with something embarrassing <laughs> if you want, if it makes you right. better. Okay. Um, so when I was, yeah, I was like 17, eight years old. I saw one of these, these ads. It was get women to go crazy for you. Try this pheromone spray. Mm. And I started learning about pheromones. Now there's, there's actually some validity to pheromones themselves. But it's not like, oh, just spray this on and no girls are throwing themselves at you. But I started reading that. It was something. It was like I was desperate. I was a desperate 17 years old. If I could spray something besides Axe on me to get girls to like me. And the interesting thing was from that, there was a forum. There was an online forum about people that were interested in pheromones and cologne and perfumery. And so in one of those posts... They were they were talking to some guy, and he's like, "Yeah, I want you know girls and women to like me and th- this stuff." And he, and there was one post that says, "Pheromones aren't going to do it. You have to work on yourself. You want to look, you know, take a look at something by David D'Angelo or an X Y Z." And I was like, "Who's that?" So I searched that Google led me to his stuff. I got double your dating, uh, you know, and then all of the programs, and that set me on a course of there's this whole world that. I don't have to just be a loser with women. I, I can learn this. This isn't just stuff that you have to be born being a Casanova knowing. It, and so that gave me a lot of hope. I, I've learned a lot since then. Um, but that that was kind of my really embarrassing thing that actually led to something that I, I credit in in some form of saving my life or at least drastically changing it. Well, I, let me. I'll, I'll match you just... Just as I said, I would that when I was probably in that same age, like certainly my teens, by the way, like, let me just already say totally align, bullied, super insecure with girls, totally, you know, hit a, hit a, hit a crisis nexus of like either I change or what's the point. By the way, Albert Camus, one of my favorite, I I don't know if it's one of my favorite quotes. I think it's one of the most insightful quotes I've ever heard is Albert Camus 
the you know famous absurdist existentialist author said, the only serious philosophical question is suicide, mm. which is to say, because he's an absurdist, right? Life is absurd. You're either willing to deal with it or not. And if you're not, that that's your answer. And if you are, you ain't got much to complain about because life is absurd. And how can you complain that absurdity is absurd, you know? And uh, so it's interesting. I mean, it, it, I'll actually say it's thematic of this of this show. You know, I interview high performers. I interview a lot of entrepreneurs. I interview a lot of people that work very hard on themselves and are into self-development. And, you know, by the way, I'll rattle off three names, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Elon Musk. What do they all have in common with both of us? Mercilessly bullied as kids. I think there's an archetype here, bullied, bullied and smart. And man, I almost view that as that is a bullied, smart, reach a point of crisis, willing to do what it takes to regain control of their life and their narrative is actually part of the long-term success formula, I would say, based on a body of evidence of several hundred interviews I've done on the show. It's a form of the hero's journey, right? Yeah. I mean, it's I had no interest of adventure, right? The call to adventure for me was you figure this out or you're going to be a miserable piece of shit the rest of your life. You're going to kill yourself. Here, here. Amen. <laughs> sad. And it's sad. Sadly, that is hundreds of millions of children's reality right now in the world. I have no doubt. Yeah. And, you know, if, you know, just sharing this, I, I'm I'm not big of a motivational, inspirational kind of person. I, I'm more of an a, here's, let's actually how we do stuff and heal stuff. But there is a place in the journey for it, right? In the beginning, there is a huge, tremendous value and validity to this inspiration and motivation, this hope. That's what I needed when I was depressed and suicidal. And that is very valid, very important. And by sh I feel I share these stories. I'm not living them anymore for a while, but I, I share it now in a place where I feel like I have uh, enough success, enough self-love, enough out of that to be an example, to just show people you, you can. It's a choice. Mm -hmm. I know it doesn't seem like it, but I, I've walked this walk. I'm not just talking the talk and it's possible for you. It's possible for everyone. And it's okay if you don't choose it. It's okay if you do, but there is hope. There is something you can do. Knowing no one's coming to rescue you. If right, there's that quote. I forget who it is, but if it's to be, if it's meant to be, it's up to me, kind of thing. And it so doesn't I, mean you it sounds like Napoleon Hill. We'll give it to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. Uh, and it doesn't mean you have to do it alone. It doesn't have to mean you isolate. It doesn't mean that no one's there to support you and help you. But it does mean that at the end of the day, it's your choice. It's up to you. You have free will. I have free will. I could have felt sorry for myself. And I did for 20 years. I felt sorry for myself until I didn't, until I said, oh, you know what? This is how I abandoned myself. This is how I betrayed myself. This is how I took it personal. This is how I stayed bitter and resentful rather than forgiving. I can make new choices from that. And that's where you start. So I, I didn't actually finish my embarrassing oh, confession, okay. <laughs> no, which is my fault because I, I do what I do a lot, which is start something and then take a detour. But no, it was my my multiple uh, multiple orders, multiple times that I was a customer of Kevin Trudeau's infomercials. Oh yeah, I'm sure you I'm sure you uh -huh. remember him. Yeah. But my my mistake when I was young, I was also I was very intelligent. I always you know scored highly on exams and whatnot. It was the only thing I actually felt confident about. 
And I did recognize that the cool kids didn't seem to think it was that cool. But at the end of the day, it was like one thing I could hang my hat on. Yeah. And so I started ordering when I was a kid, I would see, and it was actually prior to teens. I was probably like 10 or 11, whenever it was, I would see these infomercials of like how to, how to give yourself a photographic memory or how to, you know, improve your cognition, whatever. And so I, I, I used my parents' credit card and ordered multiple Kevin Trudeau infomercials. And to this day, the only thing I remember learning uh, from, from Kevin Trudeau's infomercials, he was using like image-based memory, like mnemonic tricks. And the only, for some reason, the only thing that lodged in my brain is that the French word for strawberry is pamplemousse, I think. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, I, I did retain that 30 years later, but that was it though. <laughs> Anyways, so, sorry, that, I just had to get that out. So now I'm embarrassed yeah. too. Um, and yeah, let's keep talking about when you decide that you're not going to die and instead you're going to live and you make choices in that direction, what actually happens from there? Well, you set out on the adventure of a lifetime. Um, By the way, you know that the the closest literal translation of the French word entrepreneur is the English word adventurer. Really? I didn't. Yeah. Te- technically, it means undertaker, like one who undertakes a journey or an endeavor or an adventure. But in English, undertaker means like yeah. something to do with that. Is that is that the Grim Reaper? Like what actually, what is I, an undertaker? I think it's I think it's the one that 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 uh, when you're getting your beheaded, like the executioner is like the undertaker. Oh, yeah, maybe that's actually maybe that's executioner. <laughs> well, I know, we know it has to do with death, it's something, and that's something unfun. So, so the closest approximation is actually adventurer. That's literally like okay. like I own a platform, yeah. Entre Institute, and we we evangelize and we and we teach and we we support and nurture and develop entrepreneurship and entrepreneurialism as a way of life. But it's not it's not just about starting businesses. It's about deciding that my life is going to be an adventure and I'm going to choose my own adventure through my choices, my decisions, my behaviors, my commitments, and so forth, my attitudes, my beliefs. And for most people, because life is so hardwired to the pragmatic financial element, there is very often a business ownership or investing or some sort of self-directed financial choice in, in, in intrinsic to the to the decision to live an adventure, but that's actually what we mean by entrepreneurship is like a life of adventure. So now you have a little well, context on me. Well, and I and I think too why that money component is in because what is well money is currency, money is energy, an exchange of energy. Why do we do that? Well, value. And so when you're on the hero's journey, if you know Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, mm-hmm. I've studied a lot of his work, and um, the the hero's journey at the end of it, basically what you do, um, like almost the second to last step is the elixir. And so you find the elixir, AKA value, AKA a solution to a problem, AKA uh, the manifestation of your gifts to the world, right? But then the last step is bringing it back to the village. You bring Mm -hmm. the, the elixir back to the village to help people. So it's a hero's journey that's all about yourself until it's not, because <laughs> it's not really about you. Because if you don't share those gifts with the world, right, you're hoarding it. It it starts to degrade, right? People that are are hoarding. If you look at these archetypes, they it, it's kind of the scroogey. They they contract inward mm-hmm. versus people that are sharing their gifts that are getting their stuff out to be of uh, value to people. Whether that value is entertainment, hope, food. Uh, business solutions, SaaS software, you know, whatever it is. So I think that the money aspect of the adventure aspect, 
is is part of it because there is this intrinsic you know there's a reason you're on the adventure yes it's just to have the adventure and if you're in that place you're learning you're growing and then you you take whatever that is whether it's any of the things i just listed back to the village society your family whoever it is and that intrinsically i think results in money in modern times so uh, you know actually i think um I, I feel like it's probably safe to assume most people have not gone as in-depth on the hero's journey as you and myself, because most people don't work. Most people don't have businesses that are designed around helping facilitate people through their transformational journey. So like, let's, maybe we should double click on the hero's journey for the audience. I'm a big, I'm a big yeah, student of Joseph, yeah. Joseph Campbell as well. Yeah. So it's, and you do, well, I, I'd, I'd actually rather you explain. I mean, okay. you do a lot of work with archetypes and stuff. I mean, it's essentially, well, I'll let you say it. Yeah. Um, the, the gist of it is essentially um, you're you're in the – he draws it kind of as a circle. So you're mm -hmm. in the ordinary world, right? This is – if you look at Star Wars, is he, uh, he actually worked with Joseph Campbell. Um, so the whole Star Wars, it's the hero yeah. journey. And, and by the way, I just want to declare – I mean the reason this is so important, maybe to set a little context for the audience, you might be like oh, – Oh, well, why, you know, this is one guy's theory. No, like, so if you look at Maslow's hierarchy, you look at like the spectrum of human needs, the hero's journey is to me that that theory applied in the context of an actual life arc. Like the hero's journey takes you through all the way through self-actualization. And like you said, turning around and abundantly sharing gifts with the world. So the hero's journey is how you complete, is how you live a complete Maslowian life to die, to end your life fulfilled and without regret. That's why it's important to me. <laughs> yeah, well, it's 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 the story of humanity. Um, if you look at it, it's not like he said, oh, I think this is how things are and let's try this theory out. He studied thousands and thousands of myths and stories. It was mm -hmm. an emergent. It was the emergent archetypical path through countless stories, countless generations, uh, all different cultures. The same kind of path played itself out. And it, it, and it wasn't just applicable to writing movies or books. It was the human experience. It's like there's other aspects to it, but this is really, you know, Everyone understands this. Everyone can relate to it in its own way, whether it's the hero's journey in your family or being a king and an emperor. Um, the, the, it, it shows up in all ways. Yeah. And, I, and I took us off a little off course. So yeah, you, you're in the ordinary world. Yeah. You feel so a call. Yes. You're in the ordinary world. Something happens and there's this call, right? So for me, it was, right, well, either I'd kill my ordinary world was suffering and so this is the spiritual aspect too, right? The ordinary world, like in Buddhism, is suffering. Mm -hmm. And so how do you take yourself out of suffering? Um, so there's the call to adventure. Then there's, I don't have it all memorized, but essentially call to adventure. And then you you meet somebody, right? You you have a, a mentor, you have a wizard, you have, you know, an, an uncle. And then there's some guidance. And, and typically, typically as part of the journey, you, you, you feel the call but you wrestle with it. You usually resist it at first because society yeah. has this inertia over here that says, no, 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 don't go off the track. Like you'll, you'll live a life of chaos and destruction. Stay yeah, on the real track. job. Yeah. Yeah, real job. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And for and by the way, for me, 
I remember it. I literally remember the moment. I was sitting in an abandoned music building on a campus of a boarding school that I had had to enroll in because I had gotten expelled the previous year from my high school. It was this fall semester of my junior year. It was an empty music building because they had built a new one. And so there were, they weren't having any classes and there was a piano sitting in this abandoned room. And I had this like voice that said, Jeff, you are going to have to get a real job someday unless you do something creative or expressive or something you, that can fulfill you and still put food on the table. And that is why you now find yourself in an empty building with nothing but a piano. And I began a journey of teaching myself to play the piano. Six months later, I dropped out of high school and went to live a decade as a jazz musician. And anyway, so that was my my call. I remember the moment. Yeah. Uh, the the fr- Get a real job. It's like, what does it even mean? <laughs> anyway, so so yeah, so there's this. Um, so right, so you have the the called adventure. Then you have you you wrestle with it. You're you're in contrast with the society, the expectations of society yourself. Um, again, uh, paraphrasing it, you you have some meeting with with a mentor. You, you're exposed to something new. Then you go down into the the underworld, which is you know, the shadow, the subconscious, the dark night of the soul, right? You're facing your demons, the dragons, right? There's this whole adventure in the place that you've never been. You leave home, right? So you leave home and that's the old way of thinking. That's the college degree and the safe job, whatever it is. Then you go on this whole adventure. All these different things happen. You're sometimes, uh, there's the, the magical aid, right? Something comes in, it's a voice, Right, it's an angel, it's a goddess, it's uh, a woman, it's maybe a teacher, whatever it is. Right, there's this some supernatural force beyond your ego. That's the important thing. It's beyond yourself. It's beyond the 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 mo- kind of mortal normal realm. And uh, then you kind of face the boss. Right, there's that that final boss, that that confrontation with it. You you are diving into the depths, you recover that elixir, the lesson, uh, you know, whatever it is that we talked about. Then you, then, then it's the race back. Then you have to, to, um, it's like an Aladdin. He gets the lamp and then the, the cave of wonders is caving in and it's that race. He's on the magic carpet escaping it. So it's, you've got the elixir, you've, you've beat the demon, you've came to face with it, but you have to get out of the underworld. You have to make it back. Not everybody makes it back. They find the thing, but they don't have what it takes or whatever it is to bring it to market, right? To actually publish the book, bring it to market, and then to the village, right? Then you share it with the village and actually have a product that people are using and sustain that. So that's kind of a bastardized version of it, but you get the idea. Yeah. And it's so interesting to me because- you know, I'm a big I'm a big Ayn Rand fan, and I know that she's controversial now, and she's associated with certain things that are, I don't think, actually even relevant to associate her with. But I will say, Ayn Rand reading The Fountainhead is what set me on my hero's journey. But the thing I I really really resonate with Ayn Rand around is her all of her language and discussion around tribalism and tribes. And, you know, she says, uh, and, and she uses some politically incorrect language where she talks about like the savage and the savage tribesmen, kind of like older, you know, antiquated yeah. cultures and whatnot. But she's saying basically 
the savage's existence is entirely ruled by the mores of the tribe. And there's no, there's no heroism allowed. The tribe demands conformity. The tribe demands systematization, you know, shared responsibility to maintain the social apparatus and the economic apparatus. And like, we're all just in now, now the tribe has gotten bigger. We're in the global tribe, but tribes are started by heroes. Like critical moments of tribal existence are determined by heroes. Tribes are usually ended by heroes in a process of creative destruction that moves society forward to the next thing. He, like you could you could literally sum it up by saying heroes, the people that take this journey are all the people that matter in in the grand narrative. And everybody else, you know, if you just stay in the tribe, like like Ayn Rand said, civilization is the process of setting man free from men. In other words, setting the hero free from the tribe is how I interpret that. And that is why I spend my life now calling people to a life of entrepreneurialism. Because frankly, whether it's owning a business or not, it's about living an adventure or else dying a functional gear in the machine that is the tribe full of regret because you never fulfilled your destiny. And you you see that those gears are necessary, that machine is necessary for the hero's journey. If there, if there was no- It's the resistance. Was, yeah. Well, if there's no resistance, if there's no norm, how could you, you know, be called to adventure, right? So it's, it's- it's amazing how the whole thing you can't you can't have one without the other, right? It's Is it like, so can I ask like a philosophical, yeah. like underpinned question to that? Because I totally agree. It's like the ultimate paradox of earthly terrestrial existence is that the norm is essential to create the context within which we can live a hero's journey. But the hero's journey is a call to break away from the norm. And if everybody heeded the hero's journey, then there would be no norm to break away from and there would be no heroism. It's kind of like the contrast of light and dark. But I'm curious, do you believe that there are some who are called to the hero's journey while there are others, perhaps the majority, whose actual purpose in life is to constitute the norm? Or is everyone called to the hero's journey but because of, let's say, some larger spiritual design or war going on, there are many who will simply be absorbed and 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 constrained to within and to define the norm against their own calling, so to speak. Uh, a question asked from someone who is a hero. <laughs> well, I, normal, I, 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 well, I'll, well, I'll share my point of view, but I want to ask this question, right? A normal person want to ask this question. So it, I, th this is an attack. This is a compliment, right? So this is a question of somebody who feels this hero's journey a part of life to them and who who's it's in them to be this. And so you're like, well, doesn't everybody like, well, doesn't everybody yeah. want to start a business? I, I, I wrestle with this question yeah. a lot. I mean, Call exactly. of the Wild was my favorite book as a kid, you know, like I've always felt it. Yeah. And, and it I, blows my mind when I meet people that, that don't. I, in my words, act like they don't or have suppressed it and numbed it to the point where perhaps they're no longer aware of it. But I, I don't, it's hard for me to believe that everybody didn't feel it at some point in their life. Yeah. Well, you know, it could be, it could very be possible. That's the, the, the hero's journey for them is to become someone who wants to have a hero's journey, right? Mm -hmm. They're in it, right? So it's like, there's, there's a lot here. And, and I've thought about this. I don't have any answers. I have some ideas from different philosophies, philosophies, <laughs> philosophies. Um, 
All right, so let's let's think about one. If if we're under the let's look at the uh, the organism ecology model uh, of oneness. All right, so if we're all one, it doesn't matter, right? If if let's say we we go into this idea that we're all one anyways. There's a part of me that is doing this. There's a part of me that's doing this. There's a part of me playing the villain. There's a part of me that's playing the hero. There's a part of me playing the NPC, the non-player character, uh, mm-hmm. you know, making the, the, the coffee, what, whatever it is. Then we start looking at that, say, okay, well, th- it doesn't matter. Like, these are all part of the experience. I, I like to apply it to the body. Now, if we think that the heart or let's say the head or the genitals or the hands, like if we pick a part of the body that we think is the most important part of the body, we're like, well, doesn't the liver want to be the brain? Like, doesn't the doesn't the right. feet feel bad that he's not the heart? Um, and and I think that is a very kind of normal way that we think about this in our Western mind. I don't think it's true because the heart is just as value valuable as the liver. They they all have the same value. It's our our certain alignments or associations or projections of which is more. You couldn't have a human without the fifth toe, right? It would right. be a different thing. And so I've actually, even in my work, this actually brings it into to the work that I do, the, the embodiment piece, is there's literally parts of my body that I've mapped out. I'm like, my pinky toe? What? <laughs> Oh, okay. But there's something in the pinky toe symbolically that is there for a reason. It's plugged into something. And so when I don't have that pinky toe, what might it equate to? Well, balance. Okay. Well, I'm out of relationship with this balance aspect in my life. So the reason I'm bringing this up, the point is, is if we look at society, it wouldn't be humanity if it was any different, right? So so then it comes to this idea that everything is here for a purpose. You couldn't have the hero without the villain. You couldn't have the call to adventure without the mundane. And so to your question, well, doesn't everybody? Um, I, I, I would like to think so. I would like to think that if you think, well, then this is another theory. If you go into the theories of multiple lifetimes, parallel lifetimes, uh, multi-universe kind of theory where every decision makes a new decision, mm-hmm. Uh, every everything everywhere all at once, you know this whole kind of thing. You can start looking at it that way. So I, I, I'm going to kind of pause there because this could become a whole right. five hour well, conversation. Well, well, it's interesting because I mean that philosophical that that question posed by Camus. It actually it's it's crazy how all this stuff interconnects. I posted yeah. this <laughs> on Facebook at like or on Instagram at uh, let's see what time was it? I don't know four o'clock this morning or something. I said. Uh, the most important choice we'll ever make, we ever make one, will I bend my principles to the life I want to live mm. or will I bend my life to the principles I want to live? Yeah. And I feel like in a very, in a, in a metaphorical sense, that is actually Camus question about not about to live or die, but to live, to survive or to truly live. Yeah. And so it's like, I feel like there is this call and I feel like the great spiritual question, the spiritual existential crisis that is given to every person is like, to use your metaphor, is like, hey, we are all called to be a heart or a, or, or a, or a head or something that is essential 
to the human narrative, but but also the body needs toes and the world needs people that don't heed the call to do, let's call them less critical functions in the in the spiritual sense of, of life. And so, but like, you know, that whole idea that that the the battle between good and evil is one is is played out every single day in the in the heart of every single individual on earth that fundamentally whether we choose to heat that call or not like yeah the world is constructed on the expectation that some will choose one way most will choose another way but it still comes down to the individual and that's why i resonate so much with ayn rand is it's like we de- we we abdicate our 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 autonomy, our, our, you know, we're almost like Calvinists. We abdicate ourselves to this predestination of the collective, not necessarily predestination of God, but just predestination of society. Most people, childhood is a process of abandoning dreams and giving over our future to decisions that have been made for us by the collective. Yeah. We're all called not to do that. That's why kids dream and kids act out and kids rebel and kids are kids. Yeah. Yeah. But it just gets beaten out of most of us. And most of us end up a, a, a pinky toe and not a heart. But that doesn't mean that, that we should have. Yeah. Well. But also, I try not to walk around judging pinky toes and saying, well, I chose to be a heart and you should have. And yeah, now you're missing well, out. And that's that's where it's like hard. I don't want to be like that. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> the thing. That's 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 what I was saying earlier in the in the opposite sort of way is that there's as much validity in the pinky toe than as the heart. Um, it's our egos that thinks one is more mm-hmm. important than the other. And when you say, oh, without the pinky toe, without the NPC, this would be a completely different experience. So the 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 pinky toe defines you as a heart. If there's no pinky toe, there wouldn't be a heart. There's nothing to pump blood to, right? If you don't yeah. have other other body parts. Yeah. And then, you know, so it's this, it's it's our own, because I've struggled this with huge, and I had this terror of being a background character in life. Yeah. Like, there, there was this, like, I wanted to be the, not the star, but I wanted to be a lead character. I wanted to be a main character in my own life. And most people aren't. Most people are not the main characters in their own life. It's a celebrity. It's their dad's judgment, right? It's their mom's expectation. Man, we are hitting on such critical stuff. This is why, like, celebrity worship, this is why I hate reality TV. Because it's it's literally people living their their own calling vicariously through someone else. Yes. And accepting the fact that they're not doing it for themselves. I think the same, this is why sports are so hard for me. I love sports. I love athletics. I like watching LeBron James do what he does. But this idea of I'm going to give up so much of my time to watching other people living their childhood dreams is just, oh, it's all so hard for me. At at, at the level of ego, I struggle with it a lot because I do not want to be like supercilious. I want to think that my, my... Pastimes and interests are no better than anybody else's. Sure. Yeah. But I also get really antsy when people want to watch football. Yeah. Yeah. It's um well, I think there's multiple things there, right? I think one of it is our own. And we probably at some level in some way share this in common, right? This 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 fear, uh, you know, this terror that 
life's going to pass us by. We're we're a background character. We didn't matter, right? That that this was pointless. That we didn't actualize ourselves because we have that. We want that for everyone else. And I think on a spiritual level, um, you know, this is why I do the work that I do, right? That I wrote my book to help people that want to actualize, that want this stuff. But it's not for everybody. Not everybody is there yet. And this comes back to, is it for everybody? Well, I think so. I think that through multiple maybe lifetimes, if that's what it is, I don't know. I don't like to think that way because it puts it off into the future. Mm-hmm. Like, this is all you have. This is your life. Are there maybe multiple lives? Yeah, whatever. But this is it. What are you going to do with what you have? And are you going to live vicariously through other people because um, you're whatever the reason is? And in my book, I have a chapter called The Avoidance of Life. And this is one of the huge things I find. You can live the avoidant life or you can live the heroic life. Now, you and I have had a life experience where we've made that transition, where we've lived and are living the heroic life, which is simply, are you going into your fears? Are you going into the adventure? Are you going into the unknown? Or are you avoiding things? Are you avoiding feeling uncomfortable? Are you avoiding your bills? Are you avoiding responsibilities? That's that's really just the difference. What I've discovered is that the people that live the avoidant life are in tremendous suffering. They're avoiding feeling all of the things they don't want to feel. They're avoiding facing the things they don't want to face. They're avoiding standing for their principles, right? They're avoiding speaking up. They're avoiding things rather than facing things. And it doesn't matter if you succeed. It doesn't matter if you're doing a pinky toe adventure or you're doing a hard adventure. Are you facing it? Are you going into life or are you going out of life? And if you look at a lot of these early religions, these different phases throughout history, there's people that have rejected life, right? People that reject life, the people that, um, you know, the pacifists, the people that will not eat anything unless it's fallen onto the ground and decaying, the people that are sweeping the bugs out out from their path so they don't step on them. These people have retracted from life. It, it, there's a symbol called the Ouroboros. It's a serpent eating its own tail. Right, right. One of the things it symbolizes is that life eats life. And this mm. comes back to your quote of life is absurd. And life eats life. It, it's horrific. I think Schopenhauer said life is something that should not have been. <laughs> you know, this is horrific. Life that eats, we have to eat and kill other living organisms, whether plants, insects, animals, whatever it is, in order to keep living. Everything does in some way. Even plants, they take nutrients in certain ways. Um, There's carnivorous plants. So understanding that we can either go into life, we can either go into the call to adventure. For some people, is just waking up every day and showing up to life. Are you going to show up to the world? Are you going to face the absurdity of life? Or are you going to say no to it? Are you going to reject it? Are you going to hide? Are you going to watch people do what you wish you could do, but you're too afraid to do? It's one way to be. But I will tell you that when you call to adventure, you may die. You may fail. You may have tremendous pain. uh, You may be rejected. In fact, you probably all of those things in some form will happen. But you're standing for your principles. Like you said, you're living life to those principles. You're showing up. That is not going to be a life of suffering. You will have pain, but it doesn't mean you suffer. 
When you live an avoidant life, on the other hand, when you reject, when you avoid, when you, when you do not show up to your life and to your principles, I have, not seen a, I have not seen a single client come in who's doing that, who isn't suffering. Yeah. So it doesn't, the heroic life doesn't guarantee success, but the avoidant life guarantees suffering. And so it's, you know, which, which bat are you going to place? Are you going to show up to life or are you going to avoid it? Hey there, real quick. I just wanted to let you know, I have been concentrating a lot lately on providing tons of value to my text message community. This could be random thoughts. This could be letting you be the first to know about an event I'm planning or a special I'm running or a free training I'm hosting. Anyway, just shoot me a text to get subscribed. The number is 702-996-3926. Thanks so much. Let's get back to the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like there is that, that, I mean, I, Camus said it's the only serious philosophical question. I might challenge him that I think there's a, a, a second equally serious question, depending on your answer to the first, which is, okay, now what, what do I value most? If assuming I make the choice to live, what then do I value most either life itself or something else? And what I mean by that is if you decide, okay, live or die, I choose to live. Now, survive or truly live. Survive is, I value staying alive above all things. Which, biologically, that's how our our, our brains are wired. Our yeah. amygdala is saying, don't die, don't take the risk, don't do the thing. Um, and if we decide, having chosen to live, that simply staying alive is now the most important thing. And by the way, a lot of the, I think the, the most insidious, although it because it, and the reason it's so insidious is, is because it's so intertwined with so many wonderful things that it hides and it's easy to miss. The most insidious way that that this happens to us is through family, because mm -hmm. it's like, well, I got to take care of my kids. I got to be a provider. I have responsibilities, and so we, I will literally trade my potential. I will trade my hero's journey. I will trade my calling. I will trade my purpose. I will trade my destiny. I will trade all of it to be a provider for my kids because that's how we live. That's how we outlive ourselves yeah. is through our, our, our offspring. And so, and by the way, we perpetuate it then because then we model it for our kids who are then themselves willing to make the same sacrifice. And now multi-generationally, we've conscripted ourselves into a, a life of not living, not truly living. And then, or if you make the other choice, like you said, intrinsic to that choice is a possibility of death. And and it's like people might think this is all dramatic and extreme. That's just because we live in a time that is so optimized around human comfort that for most of us, we never actually have to face those moments. But deep down, I think most people know, am I a person that would die for a principle or not? I was homeless twice. For most people, they can never imagine being homeless. They would never do anything. I was homeless twice in order to follow my vision. Now, did I had to do it? Did I have a lot of ego involved? Did I have a lot of wacky shit wrapped up with that? Yes. But I was willing to do that. And for most people, they're not. Uh, and so I don't have that fear now. But the reason I say this is you, that what you said about what do you value more, life or living, if you value, in what you said, 
if you are afraid to live because you value life more than living, the truth is you actually value death more than life. Because when you're living, you're truly alive. You're actually living life. When you're afraid to do that because you want to live, it actually means death runs you more than life runs you. Yeah. Yeah. But we, we use those words. We hide out. We use them to hide out. So this that might be a good... It, that's really interesting that that if if we're using death, let's say sort of like metaphorically, quasi, you know, semantically here to represent almost like the shadow inversion of life. It's like it's the life not fully lived is actually a, a, a form of almost like delayed and amortized death over time. <laughs> then then there's this, which which like truly, I'm so freaking glad we're having this conversation. This is shit I think about all the time. I don't really think about like how to optimize my Facebook ads or how to like get more customers. Yeah. Like that's all just like the details that have to happen to get the message out. But this is what I'm trying. I, I'm desperately, for some reason, I feel called to enroll people, to invite yeah. people, or at least to illustrate for people this way of being in the world that is truly in this world, but not of this world. Because this world is in many ways death presented to us as life to to sort of use your 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 metaphor okay. yeah but but then let's like let's talk maybe about the shadow i know you do a lot of work with the shadow and I, I this has been an amazing conversation i want to give you ample space still to to sort of talk about how you apply this in the world right not just us yeah, yeah. with you know coffee shop talk here but um but like the shadow and the way that you use um i know that your your cinematics is like you're almost you almost created a mechanism for people to be able to bring their their perspective or their position on these types of existential questions to the surface, even though for most people, yeah. they're not even asking the questions consciously. Yeah. it's uh, So it, this is a great transition. Uh, you, talk, you said something really cool. I never really put it that way, that death could almost be like the sh uh, shadow, something like the shadow of life kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Well- in in my work, in my work, we do shadow work that you just talked about, and what I like about what you said is that so when I'm working with clients, I'm I'm not helping them become more dysfunctional and evil and bad. I'm helping them become right more functional, uh, more loving, more beauty, more peace, more joy, all that stuff. In order to do that. They need to be in relationship with all of those shadow aspects. And so when you said death is kind of the shadow of life, I connected that and say, oh, well, if you want to have access to a fully alive life, you need to be in relationship with death. Yeah. And this is- Which, opinion. by the way, the, Bo the Buddhists say, live with death on your shoulder. Yeah. Well, and they also have uh, the monks, the, you know, the Buddhist monks, mm -hmm. they used to have skulls in their monasteries to remind them- that there's death. They even had monasteries where the stairs were built by bones. The constant mm. reminder of this grin of death. It's coming. It's here. It escape, it escape, no one escapes it. And so you find that when you actually are more in relationship with death, which seems counterintuitive to a terrified ego. No, I, I, want, I want all the life stuff. Let me hold on to life. This is going to keep me more alive. But if you go into death, not die, but if you go into symbolic death, right? People that have done psychedelics, 
um, or high spirituality, they have ego deaths. Yeah. You go into the death, you get into relationship with this and you come out of it and you find that you can actually live life much better because this isn't running you anymore. You're not terrified of it. And so when we apply this to the work that people come in and, and do this stuff with, the amazing thing about cinesomatics is that we don't just talk about it. We actually see this play through someone's body mm. is that these shadow aspects come up in their body. And I say, all right, well, in your body, show me these things. Then we film it with high-end cinema equipment or online. Then we play this video back of their embodied movement. And then I give them feedback on all of the subconscious archetypes, stories, mythologies, blocks, shadow material that arise through the movements of their body. And then they get to see it for themselves on video. So it's not just blindly trusting a therapist, a guru, an expert or whatever. You get to see it for yourself in your own body, how all of this stuff is running you on video for yourself. And this creates an entire feedback loop, which allows you to start penetrating it and healing it and resolving it. But by making, and this is a, a Carl Jung's quote that I have in my book, until we make the unconscious conscious, we will call it fate and it will direct our lives. Yeah. And that's what we're doing here. This is a modality where we can literally, not California Valley Girl, literally, but literally make this unconscious conscious. We bring it from the underworld. We go into the underworld. We do this movement, having people move in ways that to them feel bad or wrong or terrifying or judgmental or whatever it is. Then we bring it up to the surface to look at. And in that process, there's tremendous healing. So we, at the end of the book, I have, I have a Latin phrase, which basically means we go into the shadows to find the light of lights. So it's this hero's journey. We're going in, in these sessions, in these ways, into the person themselves, into their own body to see the things that are running them. We bring it to the surface and it, it reveals something that would run their life. We go in and say something like, all right, do you see how you're abandoning yourself? You're betraying yourself because you want the love and approval of your parents. If you keep doing this, look at what's going to happen. So this work, not only can we see what happens in their past, but it's a really good predictor of their future unless they make new choices. And so everything we've been talking about here, I've been able to verify on video in people's bodies with money in the bank account, with real numbers, with real results, how everything that we've been talking about is true. It is not theory. I have people, clients, hundreds of people coming in doing this that shows, that reveals these are principles within humanity throughout all cultures. They're real. They're not philosophies and theories. They're real. And the things that don't work, I say, oh, that's not true. Oh, this spiritual idea that people are peddling, um, you know, when you like cutting out your bad parts, ignoring the shadow, everything is only love and light, rainbows, unicorns, and nobody does anything bad at all. That doesn't work. I'm seeing it yeah. right here. People that do that are in a fantasy. They're disconnected with the shadow aspect. They're dangerous. So all of these things that we've studied and learned and meditated on and have been passed down, this is actually a method through the body, through video, through real, real world results 
we're able to verify what is true, what principle actually works in life. I don't care what society says. I don't care what a study says. I don't care what a guru says. This is the evidence right in front of me that this works or this doesn't. So I want to share with you the caption that I put on this on this post. Again, the most the post was the most important chase, choice we ever make. One, will I bend my principles to the life I want to live? Or two, will I bend my life to the principles I want to live? Obviously, the hero's journey is a journey toward number two, let's call it, right? It's and that's where, again, we feel the call, the call you could say is a call of principle. The the mentor is a, a guide of principle. The test, the, the, the tribulation is a challenge to principle, right? Like principle yeah. or values you could- you could What you stand say. for, yeah. Yeah, which by the way, I'm so glad you said that, what you stand for. The word purpose comes from the original French word for propose. It's actually porpose, to propose something. Your purpose is what you propose to the world. It's what you stand for. Oh, that's um, great. Yeah. But I wrote, I wrote the caption said, my favorite irony of life is that number two is more likely to lead to what number one is after. Yeah, yeah. That those that will stand for principle and be willing to compromise their life circumstances are actually far more likely to achieve the life circumstances that those that are making that their, their, their primary goal <laughs> exactly. are seeking. And I would use myself as an example. I have a way better, like superficially, I have a way better life than I ever expected to, or probably than I deserve. Um, and I'm not saying that I am like the ultimate example of somebody standing for principle, but I have made a few bold choices in my life on principle. For example, dropping out of high school because I, wa I, I wanted to prioritize freedom over money. And I saw school as just long form job training. And, you know, a few other things that people have said, you're reckless, you're nuts. Yeah. They were just part of my my adventure. They were heeding a call, right? So, and and now I have a lot to show. We go, see, I don't know. I guess there's something to it. But the reason I say all that is I'm I'm trying to connect a, a number of dots you've given. This idea that life eats life. The 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 snake eating its tail, the show yeah. the Ouroboros, the the Schopenhauer quotes. If life, if part of life is the consumption and the destruction of life, then clearly the purpose of life is not to simply blindly preserve life, which is so like there's a there's yeah. an implicit uh, pointer toward how to answer that second question of do I live simply to stay alive or do I risk death to do something greater than simply staying alive that's based on principle or whatnot? And given that all life, life only exists by destroying itself. That's probably a pretty good ending and that everyone's going to eventually lose the, the the battle not to die. That's probably a pretty good suggestion that there is something else that is more important and that I would argue that reconciling that, again, it's all built into the etymology. It's all built into the language. That's our purpose. It's to find that which we will stand for. I always think about the scene in uh, City Slickers. I don't know. You ever seen that movie, Billy Crystal? Long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. And Jack Palance at the end of the movie, he says to Billy Crystal, he says, you know, the key to life is one thing. And Billy says, what's that? And he says, that's what you got to figure out. But there's one thing for everybody that's the key to life. And I promise this. Okay. Actually, I don't want to say I promise. I want to ask. <laughs> I want to ask you my belief, because again, I have, I'm in a unique position. I run an entrepreneurial education platform. I get to ask 
I have a process that asks thousands and thousands of people about the purpose of their life and their core beliefs and why they do what they do and what they're striving for. And the number one thing that I get as people's why, why they do what they do is for their families. I, I swear that's the trick of the devil. There is something bigger. It doesn't mean we don't love the shit out of our families and we want them to have heroic, epic adventures too. But the goal is not just to keep everybody alive, ourselves and our offspring who keep our genes alive. Even if we die, there's like, there is something greater and that we get bogged down in this. I got to do it for my family in exchange for doing it for myself. And I think that the, mm. the, the call, the true call is to find a way to align. I make the world a better place. I make my family a, a thriving, like purposeful embodiment of, of calling and I give my gifts to the world and that I will honestly, I'm willing to die in the fight to make that true rather than settle. Yeah, I think I think one of the important distinctions, because I've been hearing you say that and there was something that I didn't quite, that was a little off, but now I get it. What I feel you're talking about is martyring yourself for your family, using your family to hold you back, using them as an excuse for you living an avoidant life. And, and teaching your kids to do the same in the process. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Which I think is an important distinction between making your life not just about you and serving your family. Totally, and, yeah. And you know, there's a doing it for your family, right? I'm doing this not just for my own ego to be a big famous star or entrepreneur, whatever it is. I'm doing it for my family. But what's the line between that and martyring yourself? What's the line between that and now using your family as a shield against your principles, against your cowardice, against your avoidance? So I think for me, getting that distinction, because it also doesn't work when you just go live a life for yourself. You say, ah, fuck family. I'm just going to do what I want. That doesn't work either. <laughs> um, and we know that doesn't we, we know both don't work. Why? Right. Because one, when you abandon yourself, betray yourself, martyr yourself, and use other people to hold you back, there's resentful, right? There's resentment. You're, you feel suffering. There's a contraction in your life. Now, we mm -hmm. also know it doesn't work being narcissistic, making your life just about you. I talk about this in my book. Your life is not just about you. And if you live your life just for yourself, well, what are you, what are one of your principles? Right? myself above everyone else. Well, we know that doesn't necessarily lead to everything because if everybody did that, everything would just crumble, like things would just stop. Like society would not continue. You did this great example. You used it in kind of a, uh, in the way you said it made sense in training generations to stay small. But then there's also another way of, well, it does keep people alive. And if we can, we can align with that truth without the martyring, without the uh, avoidance, as you were talking about, without the cultural entrainment, the conditioning, you know, the tall poppy syndrome, the crabs in the bucket, all of this stuff, mm -hmm. you can move past that and live our life beyond just ourself and move our family forward, move society forward, move ourselves forward, all of that together. Well, what does that do for people? When you, when you go beyond yourself for someone else, what do we feel? We feel inspired. We feel moved. Our heart expands. All these Hallmark movies, right? All the movies we see, some somebody sacrifices themselves. Somebody betrays them their life 
They betray their superficial life for a higher principle. It goes back to exactly what you said, or just said in a different way, right? They're, they're, the principle of other, the principle of being noble, uh, a, a virtuous. It's, it's like, it's human love. It's like agape. Love. The principle of yeah. surrendering one's own short-term self-interest to the nurturing of our fellow man, which to me is a an embodied acknowledgement that we are all one, we're all connected. And that's right. where it, I, that's why I love is how we operationalize God or spirit in the world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know. and, so, and so how do we do that without everything that you said, right? Without the martyrdom, without using it to hold back? Because there's that line. And so this is actually a really interesting thing, again, about cinesomatics that has saved my life and a lot of clients is that let's say you're doing this in your life. Let's say you think you're living your life for other people. And I say, all right, show me. In your body, show me what does living your life for other people look like? Mm. Sometimes what we will see is them being of service in their community, being very helpful, and it feels amazing. It's like, wow, you are very generous. Other times, guess what we'll see? We'll see them martyring themselves. Oh, here you go. Oh, ah, right. We'll actually see them leaving their body for other people. That doesn't work. And so through cinesomatics, we can actually help people see which one are you doing? Are you living for principles or are you hiding behind a facade of principles and manipulating and martyring and abandoning yourself? And so it's a really life-changing, empowering way to discern that because how do you know, right? What's that line between your life is not just about you and now you're martyring self for other people, right? A lot of people yeah. struggle with that. Yeah. This is, again, I reference Ayn Rand. I mean, she has a book called The Virtue of Selfishness, which is it's basically what you're saying. It's like, don't lose yourself to give of yourself. Yeah. Stay within yourself. Stay true. You know, it's like the whole like, you know, when the when the oxygen masks fall down in the airplane, yeah, you, put uh -huh. your, you put your own on first because it's the only way you can help people. Ditto, exactly. you know, the best, uh, the, no, nobody can help the poor by being one of them. Right. Yeah. Right. And uh, and, and so forth. So, yeah, I, this is, man, we have like, we have gotten deep into the grounding of my existence. Andrew, I am so grateful for this conversation. <laughs> Thank you. I, I also know we've gone 10 minutes longer than we were scheduled. Are you okay on time? Yeah. Yeah. This is fine. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm riled up. I'm just getting <laughs> <Yeah>. started. <laughs> no, so talk, talk a little yeah. bit more then let's maybe go like five more minutes. Okay. Um, and, and I want to give you some space, whether it's to talk about any of the, any of the critical principles from your book, obviously I want you to share how people can come find you and get into your world and, and explore your work and so forth. But, uh, so whether it's the book or more about cinesomatics, um, maybe at the very least, if you could help people really understand the cinematic cinematics concept a little a little deeper i'm i'm you can tell i'm a word nerd i'm connecting cinna and somatic somatic yes. meaning like of the body separate yeah. from the mind but how is and the body cinema video yeah go ahead. yeah yeah so anyways please if you know wherever you want to go but, but yeah share. <laughs> yeah so yeah so first off um a lot of what we're talking about is in my book um these are things that if you're listening to this you're like this is interesting stuff. What the f does this have to do with my life? <laughs> right. How, how right. does this help me in my business? How does this help me get the partner that I want? How does it fix my relationships? This is my book. 
I, this is my little plug, but Awaken to Your True Self. So this is my book. If you want to know how to make all of this applicable and practical in a grounded way while still remaining in spiritual, in, in, in love and in all of these things, that's what I talk about here. How do we... How do you actually discover your own victim mentality, the narcissism, the martyring? How do you meet your own needs without um, protecting yourself with armoring and not letting other people help you? How do you stop objectifying people? How do you get unstuck? Um, the hero's journey. How do you live the heroic life rather than the avoidant life? How do you get out of your head and into your body and actually embody these principles rather than just talk about them? Everything mm -hmm. we've talked about is literally part of my life's work. And... In this book, it shows you how to practically apply this to your life. So I just want to kind of tidy that bow up uh, or tidy that up with a bow there and say, if this has been fascinating, but you want to know how to actually use it, um, please check this out if it's interesting, because it will tell you how to practically do these things. And that's available wherever Every, books are sold. Yeah, 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 yeah of course. Pretty much. Okay. Uh, there's an audio book, uh, Kindle, hardcover uh, and paperback. So somatics, um, basically, as I've explained before, um, in in passing, how it works. Let's just start with the with the word that you did already. Cinesomatics. Cina coming from video, but also a mm -hmm. Greek of uh, kina, which is movement. So we use video and movement. That's why it's uh, cinema, right? It's moving pictures. So there's that movement piece, moving in your body, the somatic piece. So essentially, we use video and movement uh, in the body to reveal these things. Why? What? Nobody's really heard of this. This is actually something that I've been pioneering. I got a lot of uh, some of the groundwork for this from my mentor. Um, uh, he worked in Hollywood, so there was a lot of innovation from him. He passed away, kind of passed the torch to me. I created Cinesomatics. I took an I work from Alan Watts, Joseph Campbell, all these different things in my life. Um, all I was actually things. thinking about Alan Watts earlier. You said something and I was thinking about the law of reversed effort, actually, as it applies to life. Yeah. That the way to have the richest life is not to cling too tightly to life. Yeah. So anyway, I hear, I, I heard Watts earlier in, in yeah. your work. Well, so I, I'm, actually, I'm, a, I'm actually an advisor at the Alan Watts organization. I work with a Ah, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. We're doing all sorts of fun stuff. Um, new video platforms, you know, all, all sorts. Of anyway. So I've sort of incorporated my own stuff. I brought it forward. I, I advanced the technology using high-end cinema equipment. And one of the big things has been the archetypes, somatic archetypes, which I'll, I'll talk about in a second. So, okay. So you understand the words, you get a kind of an idea of what we do, but why this? Like what, why? It's based on the principle of as above, so below. Also in common parlance, how you do one thing is how you do anything. How you do anything is how you do everything. And so what we find out is that the way you show up in your body, the way you move through the space is how you show up in your life. It is how you move through the world. And so when people get on, it's not a session. I tell people, this is not a call. This is not a session. This is your life. How you're showing up here on this call is how you show up in your life. And so how people move in their body when they are doing whatever the exercise is reveals how they relate to those things symbolically in their own life. Mm 
So rather than talking about things, right, if if we had the discussion from before of, well, is your life about you or about other people? My life's about other people. Look at all the volunteering work. Look at all the stuff I do. Okay, great. Well, I guess you're right. Move on. Or maybe take a few years of therapy of talking about it to figure it out. Or in about 30 seconds, we can know with evidence on video in your own body, which one you're doing. And so it's very confronting. Uh, mm. You know, this is not a beginner process. This is this is some of the most advanced work there is. And one of the reason uh, is because we essentially get uh, a decade of spiritual transformation in about six months. It's very accelerated. Why? Because all of this is coming to the surface in your own body. All of the things that we've spent decade, decades of our life not wanting to be true about us, suppressing, avoiding, censoring, avoiding. In this work, this stuff comes to the surface. Why? Not to make you feel bad about yourself, but to show you the truth. Right. So one of the principles at the end of the book, I have five guiding things. The biggest one is truth. I say make truth the most important thing in your life. Is it necessarily? It could be debated. Love and truth kind of the same thing in a different sort of way. But what I found out is if I say make love the most important thing, people have a lot of distorted ideas about yeah. love. Oh, yeah. They'll go right and, to martyrdom sometimes. Exactly. And so if I say make truth the most important thing, for most people, things get a lot more functional, right? Because what's the truth? Well, you tell somebody the truth. It might not feel good. They might not like it. But if you try to be loving, well, you might coddle them. You might be codependent. You might be rescuing them because of a distorted idea of love. Eventually, you find out that love really is truth and that telling the truth is the most loving you thing you can do for someone. If you see somebody taking themselves out in so much suffering and they don't realize it, telling them the truth, saying, you know what, you're, you're actually causing yourself harm. You think you're doing something good, but look, you can save their life. You can help them. So if you're in a relationship that's, that's abusive or isn't true or authentic, telling them the truth is going to move you both forward. And so we do group work. When we do group work, this whole dy dynamic of there is, are you thinking you're loving them or are you just rescuing this person? Or are you giving them feedback and telling them the truth? So there's this whole product, there's this whole process of aligning to the truth, standing for this principle of truth. Through the movement of the body in the video, we can actually uncover that. So when you have a group of people or just a couple people in a video, the video has no distortions. When you look at a video of yourself, this is really what you're doing. Now, you have your own distortions. You have your limitations. You have filters. You have agendas. You have fears. You have things you're hiding, suppressing, things you don't even know about. You're projecting onto the world. This process helps you... Um, heal those, to stop those, to drop those. So it's not an additive process. I'm not teaching people how to add more confidence. I'm helping people subtract the insecurity. Mm. I'm not showing people how to be beautiful. I'm showing them how to stop suppressing their beauty. So it's a subtractive process rather than an additive it's, process. It, would, would it be fair to say it, you're show, not showing people how to be more true? It's how to subtract the lie. Exactly. Right. You, you don't need to learn how to be you. You have to how to unlearn all of societies and your distort all of the stuff. You it's a process of unlearning. Yeah. You know what I want to I want to comment on in your book is 
because I have a I have a book called Unlock Your Potential. And so your book very very similarly could have been called Awaken Your True Self. But you said awaken It is awaken. To, oh. But you oh, said okay. awaken to your true self. Yeah. In other words, your true self isn't asleep. Yeah. It's it's already there. It's you that's asleep and you need to wake up to it. It's not it that you need to wake up. It's a tiny two-letter word that completely changes the meaning. Yes. And I love that. I, I just I think that's a really important distinction. I'm sitting here going, should I have should I have called my book Unlock? Well, it wouldn't have made sense. <laughs> no, it, Unlock to a, your true potential wouldn't have made yeah. grammatical sense. But it's like it yeah. is a really subtle but really critical distinction. Yeah. When people do this work, I say this in the book too. It takes a long, it's it's a whole journey for people to get there. It, it has for me. There's there's a handful, and this could be a good place to 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 tidy up. Um, because because of everything that we're saying here, most people come into this work trying to fix themselves, to improve themselves. They get in that process. What tends to happen is that it gets wrapped up in a lot of fixing and narcissism. You see this in a lot of maybe spiritual communities, self-help communities, new age communities, this kind of thing that I've been all a part of and I've done this all myself. So everything in this book, I've done something like it or it exactly in my book. That's how I wrote this stuff. I didn't just read other books and copy it. This stuff came from my own life experience. And one of those things is self-help, right? It's people focus on themselves. And so one of the big traps is it making it all about you. And so I developed a, a massive narcissism, not because I didn't like it, because I was just spending so much time trying to fix myself. Well, yeah. What's the fixing? What are you trying to fix? It's like, oh, okay, well, I'm, I'm fixing my whole life. When does it end? Well, what does that imply? So what happens is, is even if you do fix yourself, what does it at the end, validate. It validates the lie you were broken to begin with. And so this is one of the, the big reasons why it's subtractive, why we don't fix. Yeah, there's healing, there's growth, there's learning, but it's not fixing because the more you fix yourself, the more it validates the lie you were broken to begin with. There was something wrong with you. And that's the true self. The true self, who you really are, there's nothing wrong with you. You have everything you need. You're enough, right? There's yeah. nothing wrong with you. And it's the process of not teaching you that or handing it to you. Say, now, Jeff, Jeff, you are now not broken. You are now fixed. You are now perfect. No. <laughs> well, Why? And by the way, the word fixed, what does that word actually mean? Unchanging, rigid, locked. Mm -hmm. it's fixed is the opposite of growth. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I like that. Yeah. yeah, or 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 I feel better because I got my fix. I mean, oh, oh, fix. I get, oh, I just think truth well, is, is always it's buried in the words. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's an addiction, right? I got my self help fix. Another thing, I, personal development. Most of the time, I call it persona development because you're just building a better persona. How can mm. I present myself better to the world that's more lovable, likable, sellable, whatever it is? And so, what ends up happening is people actually do all this work on themselves, and it takes them further from their true self. Right? It takes you further from the truth of who you are. However, it doesn't invalidate it because most people, what happens is they get to the end of that, they get to me and I say, there's nothing wrong with you. Stop fixing. Right? You don't. It, what happens is they've just spent 
30, 40 years of their life investing hundreds of thousands of dollars and hours to fix themselves, to improve their persona. And I say, you got to drop the persona. You got to drop the mask. That's not you. That's not who you really are. This is actually causing suffering. The more you do this, the more it takes you further from yeah. your truth. And to give all of that up, right? To give all of that up for the truth. It's been my experience. A lot of people aren't willing to do that. A lot of people aren't. It, it's You have to be willing to give it up. But what you understand is that whole journey wasn't pointless. You have to feel that. It's going to feel like that was so pointless. The thing is, it's not because that got you here. That got you to the realization that there was nothing wrong with you to begin with. And if yeah, you look and through it, the spirit... But sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm, I'm yeah, inspired. Go ahead, go ahead. Like a, yeah, well, yeah. I was going to say, like when we, when we, this to me, I actually feel like we're resolving the the fundamental question that I asked or I posed earlier about to hero or not to hero, so to speak, right? That yeah. because a lot of it is we have this external definition of the hero, right? The hero is the guy that builds the big company or the guy that creates the invention that moves technology forward or the person that saves. 300 people from a plane crash or like, no, the hero is simply the person that braves the spiritual, psychological, emotional, and so forth elements, all the, all the monsters and dragons of the journey into oneself to ultimately, and then we talk about the road back is the road back out into being fully ourselves. And the elixir was always our true self. It wasn't something we went and got. It was something we went in and got yeah. and brought back up to the world. And and that's where I'm like, that I think that I'm so glad we arrived at this point because like now I have peace. Uh, like, <laughs> yes, I can, yeah. I can now say everybody is called, though not all heed the call and not feel like I'm making a judgmental statement or one that is perhaps circumstantially invalidated because it's like, oh, well, they didn't have the same advantage as you did, so they never had a chance to go be a hero. No, we can all be a hero because the dark night of the soul is in here, yeah. as is the elixir, and every one of us is called to go get it. Yeah, yeah. I think th there's a quote, every, every, um, everyone's called, few answer the call. And that that's the thing. We all have the opportunity. It's all a choice. We are a choice away from life or death every moment. It's when you when you realize that it's like all right well what are you choosing you know you're choosing one or the other and as we as we talked about maybe you think you're choosing one but you might be choosing the other yeah um, and so that's why the truth is so important what is the truth are you fooling yourself so many people I mean I was very intelligent I was conning myself about everything I mean I was I remember being homeless and being like abundance abundance I'm so dude. You can't, you're, you're transferring 30 cents from one of your bank accounts to the other in order to afford a dollar can of soup. You are not in abundance. This is a complete fantasy. But I was unwilling to face that. I was unwilling to go in. And it wasn't until I was willing to go yeah. on that journey and tell the truth that I could heal and overcome it. So, yeah, it's... So, so to kind of bring all that to a, to a close... I would say, and I don't want to speak for you, but if if you're intrigued by this conversation and you would like to do a deeper dive to the inward hero's journey to find the truth and bring it back to the village, where should they go? AndrewDaniel.com, <laughs> yeah. Cinesomatics.org. I know you have a number of locales. Yeah. Yeah. AndrewDaniel.org. If you go to AndrewDaniel.org, 
Um, there's access to my book, the Cinesomatic website. Um, there's some, uh, if it's available, opportunities to to do a Cinesomatic session. Um, we, you know, there's going to be group workshops, all sorts of stuff. Um, so it's and uh, awaken to your true self if yep. they want to read the book. Yep, the book. Um, I actually highly recommend anybody who's going that wants to do work with me to read the book. Um, it is, it is not a breeze. Um, it, it's, it's a big book, 432 pages. Um, but it, I have not had anybody that said, uh, you know, it didn't help them or change their life or have values. So if you like this stuff, check that out. And if you resonate with that, come, come do some work with us, come play with us. Oh man, what a great conversation, Andrew. I just want to say thank you. Thanks for what you do. Thanks for the the stand, the proposal, the purpose that you are in the world. And thanks for being a guest on Unlock Your Potential. Thank you. Likewise, this was such a fun conversation. Uh, and I appreciate all of your contributions. I, I learned a lot from this too. It's always fun to have a, a, a play off of each other. Everything that you said inspired me to have an idea. And I said, I saw it for you. And so that's Always yeah. one of my favorite ways to do this. So thank you for having me. The, the challenge with conversations like that is when you're inspiring each other, it, there's all, it's like hard not to interrupt each other. <laughs> yeah, I always yeah, try, I'm always like, I'm like, oh, I got to say this, but also be a good, be a good host, you know? So no, this was amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Incredible having you as a guest. But I always have to say this to the audience that you, the audience are the best part of this show. You're why I do what I do every single time. So glad we got to spend this time together. Can't wait to see you on the next episode. Take care. Hey, it's Jeff here. If you liked this episode of Unlock Your Potential, it would mean so much if you would like and share the episode on whatever platform you're listening or viewing on. And if you really like what we're doing here and you enjoy this podcast, please consider leaving a review. There is so much work that goes into these episodes and you leaving a positive review lets us know that that work is reaching people and especially it helps us reach other people your review could be the reason that someone else decides to tune in check out this podcast and unlock their potential and ultimately level up the quality of their life so thank you thank you thank you so much for your support and for listening especially if you like or share or leave a review thank you for helping us spread the word and thank you for unlocking your potential to go make the world and your world a better place